0: Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably
1: the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Stirista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent Neje talked to Sue Beckett, VP of Digital Marketing and E-commerce at Lovesac. She explores how the brand's foundation is built on moving away from planned obsolescence and how the companies manage to thrive from their cult following on social media. She also offers some insight in the navigating the data marketing landscape as a whole. AJ goes on a getaway and Vincent dreams of the African safari. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, it's me, Vincent Petrofessa. That must mean one thing, and usually one thing only. It's another episode of The Marketing Stir, brought to you by Starista. It is so great talking to you. Starista, what? Who's that? I have no idea. Well, Starista, we are an identity marketing company. We have our own B2B and B2C data. We help customers utilize that data, email marketing, display, OTT, connected TV, because we have our own DSP, Adster. Email me, vincent at com. We can help. That is how confident I am. I just gave you my email address. Ah, oh, the only other thing I'm confident about is my co-host, ladies and gentlemen. He is my CEO. He is the co-founder of Starista, Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ?
0: Hey Vincent, I'm actually uh, about to go on a uh, short weekend vacation. So I'm in uh, Kingsville, Texas today. Small town, had never heard of it, but we found a uh, cool little Airbnb for the weekend here.
1: That's awesome. You, know, you rarely go on vacations, sir. So that is much deserved. Kingsville, huh? Kind of what makes that area special?
0: Uh, It's next to Horseshoe Bay Resort. So it's a nice little resort they have around a lake here. Uh, But because of COVID, we decided not to stay at the resort. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so uh, otherwise, nothing special as such. But for people in San Antonio, it's like an hour away and a little getaway.
1: That's nice. Yeah, that's kind of what we do here in New York City. We'll either go to the
0: Catskills or the Hamptons,
1: that area there, beautiful Long Island area, the wineries. Speaking of beautiful Long Island area, our next guest is calling in from Long Island. Ladies and gentlemen, we are very happy to have this next guest. AJ, this is also a friend of Starista's. This you know, next guest, the company, and more importantly, the person came highly recommended to us from one of our members here at Starista, Mr. Matthew Kenyon. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd love to welcome in the VP of digital marketing and e-commerce at LoveSack. Ladies and gentlemen, Sue Beckett. What's going on, Sue?
2: Hey, Vincent. How are you? What a wonderful welcome. Thank you.
1: <laughs> no problem. I try to, you know, give the, it's, it's, uh, you know, we're filming this on a Friday. It's your day off and you're, you're gracing yourself uh, with your presence. We appreciate that. I have to give you a warm welcome. It's what we do here. It is. Thank you
2: so do. much. And it's beautiful out. And what more could you ask for for November? Right? What are I we, love it. I love something? It.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. And, uh, you know, like I said, you're calling in from Long Island. You've been hanging out there. You have family there. You've been, normally, you're in Manhattan with me. So you're kind of doing what AJ's doing, just getting away for a while and and enjoying yourself.
2: Absolutely. It's not bad at all being out here.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. So, Sue, tell us out there in the marketing stir world about Love Sack. As well as your role within the organization.
2: Absolutely. So Love Sack is a specialty retailer, um, a furniture retailer. We are all direct to consumer, although we do have over 100 retail locations, hmm. which are just showrooms. So we really don't sell inventory or keep inventory in our showrooms. It's really for demo purposes and people learning about the products, sitting on the products, experiencing them. And so uh, all of our sales are done uh, direct to consumer um, and through lovesack.com, which I I had the pleasure of running lovesack.com there. So we we have two main uh, furniture lines, product lines. Um, one is the original product called the SAC, um, which is where Love SAC comes from, our name comes from. Um, it is a Durafoam filled, non bean bag, uh, bean bag chair. It pretty much is the most comfortable seat you'll ever sit in, in your life. Um, and we have a seating platform called Sactionals, uh, which is our modular couch, um, which seat, consists of seats and sides, which are the covers are washable um, and changeable, rearrangeable. And most importantly, we have a very, um, we have a philosophy at Love Sack that we, we try and emphasize sustainable products. Um, we, try, we build products that we say are built for a lifetime and dissolve, designed to evolve with our customers' needs. Um, And, you know, one of our goals is to ultimately reduce the amount of furniture discarded into landfills. And so, you know, our products um, are built to last. Uh, Like I said, the covers are washable. Um, We believe that planned obsolescence is an outdated business strategy, that it's irresponsible. Um, And we would love to be able to inspire mankind to buy less and buy better. Um, so really proud of that, and my role at Lovesack um, as vice president of digital marketing e-commerce. So it's kind of twofold. Um, on the digital marketing side, I oversee all digital marketing pr- programs, um, email, search, social media, affiliate program, um, things like that. So once someone is brand aware Uh, My team comes in and tries to help them research the product, become a consideration, ultimately convert, and then rebuy. Um, On the other side, um, I also run our website, our e-commerce platform. Um, So all the front end, making sure customer experience is where it needs to be, all the promotional activity, sales that come through. So basically kind of two different roles. Uh, which I love equally, just like people love their children equally, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My six-month-old's growing on me, but yes. uh, Oh, good. Finally. Yeah, he's growing (laughs) on me, but you know, the three and a half, no, I'm kidding. I love both of them. I I, (laughs) I won't tell. (laughs) I won't, yeah. He doesn't listen to this. Neither does my wife. It'll be fine.
0: (laughs) So so how did you get into the marketing world to begin with?
2: So I am one of those probably unique people that um, was a marketing major in college mm-hmm. and um, I have loved marketing ever since um, I went to business school I went to school in New York at um, Binghamton University uh, love just love marketing and I was really fortunate to even right out of school to obtain a marketing role right from the beginning, a marketing assistant role, where I really started learning about direct to consumer, um, and direct mail and, and all of those great things. And just from there, I mean, my roles have evolved, uh, throughout my career, but always in marketing really also mostly in retail. Um, so apparel retail, um, makeup and skincare, yeah now furniture. And so, you know, really started out direct mail, very focused, always very direct to consumer. Um, and really as it's evolved and you know, digital has evolved, e-commerce has evolved, digital marketing, um, I've been fortunate to kind of evolve with that. Um, and really always still excited about what I'm doing. Um, I think you know, I've been primed from the beginning of my career to understand data. Direct-to-consumer has always been very data-driven. Direct mail has always been very data-driven. And so, you know, as um, I've moved along, that I think has served me really well.
0: So I think we have recorded over uh, 50 of these podcasts uh, with marketing executives, and you might only be the second or third to actually have a marketing major, so consider yourself a unicorn.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I thought maybe that was the case.
0: (laughs) So tell us a little bit about, you know, who your target audience looks like. One of the things you said earlier really resonated with me was uh, uh, people, usually if couches get dirty, it's almost impossible to clean it, especially when you have little kids. So It's great that uh, it's kind of washable, so I'm sure think messaging like that plays a part in it, but would love to understand who you guys are going after as your target audience.
2: Yeah, we're really fortunate that because of the nature of our products, um, they fit in very well into the lives of a lot of different types of groups of people. And so when you think about the fact that you can add as many seats and sides as you want, you could start off as a young person, you know, newly out of your parents' house and have a, you know, a love seat. And then as you get to a bigger apartment or you move into a home, you can add more seats, you can change the covers. And so, you know, then as you get into a life stage of being potentially young parents, um, you know, as you mentioned, the, the covers are washable and changeable. And so, you know, your child spills something on one cushion you can take that cover off and wash one cover you know and so and then as you kind of progress you know you either once you get older we you know maybe you're a young professional or have it all you know you can continue to expand or even if you know you're say even say you know a gen ex or baby boomer, and you have start to have children that are leaving the home, and you have a big setup, you can actually give pieces to that to your children, you know, to start their own couch. And so we're really fortunate to be able to kind of satisfy the needs of so many different people. I would say our core target um, are, you know, young professionals, young parents, and kind of that have it all group, because our, you know, our products are a premium price product um, because of the durability and because of the fact that you can have it for so long and uh, just by nature of the way that they're built.
1: And, and Sue, that's the, the target. Talk to us, we love to hear about this in the marketing stir because there's a lot of marketing professionals out there listening. What are some of the tactics within your role that you're utilizing via marketing that are working?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's so interesting because Love Sack is fortunate. We we have kind of this cult following on social media and um, really also very much around sectionals, which is the modular couch, but also around the Sacks, which are just an, an, an amazing product. Again, I'm saying how comfortable the seating is and you know, so social media has been really interesting for us in the way that, you know, we, um, we kind of speak to our followers. Um, we really try and be fun. We don't try and take ourselves too seriously. I would say if you looked on our Instagram account over the last few weeks, you definitely see that. We've done some really, really interesting, fun things with sectionals around Halloween. Um, cause we have a storage seat and we're, you know, kidding around with like hiding the candy in the storage seat. And our creative team has just been just so amazing and thinking out of the box and different ways to appeal to people. Um, so social media has been really, 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 really interesting for us. I think, you know, in terms of search and retargeting and things like that, um, we're kind of running on all cylinders right now. We're extremely fortunate. Um, And one of the biggest boons for us over the last few years has been TV media. Um, And so we've really leaned in to traditional cable and OTT, um, YouTube, Hulu, all of that, and seen really great success um, in, in terms of brand awareness and kind of people seeing us for the first time, potentially going into a showroom, doing some research online. And so uh, media has been, has been really successful, a success story for us.
1: And, and definitely, you know, on Instagram, check them out. It's, it's beautiful content that you're putting out there. There's like ones with the, these two little twin dogs and there's some, I like, I, I know you're, you're referring to the one, uh, the Halloween one where you could open up the sectional and there's the candy in it.
2: Exactly. It's, yeah, yeah,
1: it's uh, it's amazing. So you know, give give that a, a check out there. So Sue, you know, we've had some businesses on where some of their aspects of the business has you know pivoted maybe in the wrong way. Some that have in the right way. Is it safe to say? This is what I think, right? I I think that as I just moved here in New York City, we need new pieces of furniture. We're at home a little bit more, and I'm like. Ah, uh, you know what? I never liked that desk. I never liked that chair. I never liked. Are you finding an increase in business because maybe because of that, people are at home more. They need to create a comfortable space?
2: Yeah, we um, obviously, in so many ways, this pandemic is horrible, atrocious and and you know, just a terrible thing for our business. And I think, you know it's it's attributed to, the executive team, our teams in general, we have done such an amazing job of understanding our target customers' needs and wants during this time and pivoting messaging, um, updating the website with critical information about our showrooms or the fact that we have contact, deliver- contact list delivery, contactless um, it, delivery. And it's, I'm just so proud of the way that we've kind of handled the business because some retailers are a lot of retailers are really struggling. And I think the nature of our products really, you know, is is right at this time because you can wash the covers. You can rearrange the furniture. We have people, you know, we have a lot of amazing user generated content and We've seen people rearranging their sectionals so that the husband can work on one side of the room the wife can work on the other other side of the room during the day it can act as you know the school you're teaching your your kids and you and it's just the fact that you can kind of take it apart and do different things with it um, and and wash the covers and change the covers and I think that with people staying home and people a lot of people having to work from home or you know homeschool their, their children it's just it's a product that is really being seen for you know the the nature of how amazing it is and what you can do with it
0: and so in order to kind of build the uh, marketing in the digital aspect could you talk to us a little bit about you know, what does some of your tech stack look like? What are what's some of the software that you live by?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, there's probably more work to be done there. We actually just replatformed the website a couple of months ago. We're now on Magento 2 platform. Um, and so, you know, because that comes with kind of the power of Adobe also behind it, there's, I think I see a Very bright future in terms of a lot of the things that I want to be able to do in terms of artificial intelligence, um, continuing to be able to target and segment and personalize the website in a lot of different ways. Um, You know, the new website has only been up two months. And so, you know, there's a lot of plans for the future and for next year on things that we want to be able to do with it. Um, We built a new configuration tool hospitals, where basically you can build your own, um, you can see the way it looks in a room, different things like that. So we're really proud of what we've been able to do there. Um, I think that, you know, data is a big focus for us and getting our data in the right place so that we can kind of expand our tech stack, but smartly. Um, I don't, I think it's, it's pointless to really start Um, investing in a lot of marketing technology until you've got clean data in one place, golden record, you know, for customers and things like that. And that's a big focus for us right now.
1: And I'd I'd like to piggyback on something you said there, Sue, data-driven marketing can be very powerful, but there also could be a lot of pitfalls. Do you have any tips for marketing teams navigating the data landscape?
2: Yeah. (laughs) so I I sure do you know it's funny because um I've presented at conferences before and things like that and a lot of it is actually around data-driven marketing um and so I definitely feel like I've learned a lot over the last years um not just with lovesack just in general and so you know data can be a blessing or a curse um, if you don't understand it and I would say one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that having the right data means different things to different groups of people. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we're undertaking, um, you know, this process of uh, CRM, um, I think it was really important for me to kind of survey different groups in the company. And ask them what their needs were, because speaking to cross-functional teams completely changed my perspective on data and how to do my job better as a marketer. And so what you know what good data means to our retail team versus our customer love, which is our customer service team we call customer love, our customer love team, um, you know, our other marketing our brand marketing team, all of their needs are different. And so I think it's really important that if you're undergoing kind of a big data project that you work cross-functionally and really understand the needs of everyone um, and not just what you need as a marketer because it could be very different. Um, I think that you you really need to get your data in a place where it's like quote unquote clean so that you can rely on it because you know, in order to do good personalization or customer journey work, you actually need to take the time to ensure that you can trust the data before you try and speak to the customer in a different way. Um, It'd be really bad to get personalization wrong um, with your customers and try and come back with that and help and make them trust you again. You'll completely lose their trust if if you don't personalize in the right way. And I would also say, you know, kind of be wary of companies that say they can do it all, software companies, right? They can't. Um, And as an organization, you really need to be able to choose what your priorities are for the data and work with a partner or company that fits your specific needs.
1: Yeah, thanks, Sue. We love, uh, you know, we love hearing about that, just, you know, ourselves being a data driven company. We, we love hearing about you know cl- obviously clean data, accurate data, but the personalization is is key. I think that's what separates a lot of brands nowadays. Is if there's a personal touch marketing, if there is because you, you have to separate yourselves, and you only get one chance to do it. If if you spell my name wrong or if you get something inaccurate, I know it's not i I know it's not personal there's even companies now that you could reply back to you could on social media you could message them and they'll get back to you. You have to create a different experience you have to separate themselves uh e commerce as well as in person stores as well if, when people start going back to stores as, as they have make that experience worthwhile for them it's It's really i think what it's going to take and just based on some of the the guests that we've had on the show. Um, but so, thank you for the, those thoughts, Sue. You've been at companies like Ann Taylor, uh, Ralph Lauren. What was it that drew you to LoveSack?
2: I think the nature of kind of what LoveSack is trying to do, um, and you know, I try and be as sustainable as possible in my own life, um, and I try and be responsible and environmentally responsible, and and those sorts of things, and. I think the message of LoveSack, you know, at its core also is that we are truly trying to inspire mankind to buy less furniture. And, you know, we're all of the liners of our products, whether it be sectionals or sacks, are made from recycled bottles. We estimate that we've saved over 50 million bottles from the waste stream um, so far by doing that. Um, I think that, you know, it's important if you if you are lucky enough to be able to choose a company that fits with your your own uh, the own, your own way that you want to live, your own ethics and morals and those sorts of things. And I was extremely lucky to be able to do that. We believe in what we're doing. Um, we believe that for every sectional, you buy, you're saving seven couches from a landfill just because of the nature of being able to change out cushions or change covers and things like that. And so, you know, that message of sustainability and being conscious, I think, really drew me.
0: And so I think you're also involved in some nonprofits on your end as well, like the Brighter mm-hmm. uh, Children. Talk, talk to us a little bit about what you do outside of work there.
2: Absolutely, I would love to talk to you about Brighter Children. Um, It's an amazing organization. Um, I think in my, also my personal life, I'm I'm passionate about uplifting women and girls um, and a proven way to do that is through education. And right now, 60 million children worldwide do not attend a primary school. And Brighter Children's goal is to really provide these children an opportunity to go to primary school um, by sponsoring their educational costs um, of these students that couldn't otherwise go to school. So really what we're trying to do is break the cycle of poverty by helping children to succeed in school. Um, so the mission really is to find and fund local schools um, across the world Um, and really extend the gift of education um, to some children in the most impoverished communities around the world. And, you know, we truly believe that you can end poverty through dignified and impactful education. Um, 100% of donations go to sponsoring children. So all the operational costs are raised completely separately. And we're really proud of that. Um, you know, donors can choose a specific child they want to sponsor, or just donate. You know, to schools in general. We send reports back. Um, right now, we're sponsoring children in and students in Africa, in India, in Colombia, and in Honduras. Um, and we've seen really amazing impacts. Our students have 90% attend, 97% attendance. Um, They're twice as likely to move on to a secondary school. Um, Literacy rates have improved. And that also helps to improve a student's confidence, right? And which really um, kind of makes them a better citizen in their own community. Um, It's just been such a joy to be part of the organization. I'm, I'm a member of the advisory board. Um, And really, it's been only about five or six months now, but it's been such an honor um, to kind of witness the dedication of the people that are volunteering and working so hard to make life better for for those who maybe wouldn't have had an opportunity otherwise.
0: That's great, Sue. So actually, one of my uh, aunts just started a little school in India for, uh, because of COVID, a lot of the impoverished communities actually have been affected even worse because they don't have the resources to do virtual school. They were already in kind of uh, pretty bad government-run schools to begin with. So she's uh, doing something similar, she's retired, so she's uh, raising money to teach uh, children, but also feed them, because a lot of them were dependent on government programs.
2: Absolutely, and we do that as well, so not, it's not just education. We, we you know, kind of, we, we do help feed as well, um, and the art, the school that we sponsor in India is actually an all-girls school. Oh, great. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Sue, so, so, uh, coming back to the uh, marketing world, what's been kind of a highlight for you personally at lovesack in the last four years
2: yeah it's been a kind of a wild ride at lovesack um but i would say that um really taking the company public has been almost it, it maybe not be a once in a lifetime thing but not many people kind of get to do that right and I think you know all the work leading up to doing that um, has been really rewarding. I think, you know, taking the company public um, and beating expectations on what our opening price was going to be and kind of seeing the way that the business has grown since we've done that um, has been really amazing for me. Um, I think also just being part of such a high growth company in a time when retail is faltering has been extremely rewarding. I feel like a lot of the steps that we've taken um, in previous months to the pandemic And things that we had been thinking about already, like replatforming our website and everything, because obviously that doesn't happen overnight, overnight. that takes a year to do. And so we've really been setting ourselves up for success. Um, And so I feel like there's been so many rewarding experiences from going public to the high growth that we're seeing um, with this company in a time when um, a lot of people just don't know how to get it right. Um, It's been great.
1: And I, I want to go back to something you said there, you know, first, Sue, thanks for your involvement in, in Brighter Children. That's, uh, that's awesome. It's an awesome organization. And I want to get back to something you said there because it's almost like you, you chose this role just ba- based on the, the good that they're also providing for the environment. So it's kind of like conscious capitalism, right? I, I've, mm-hmm. uh, I heard you talk about that prior uh, to, to our engagement together. Uh, it seems like it guides your work. Uh, elaborate on that a little bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the idea of conscious capitalism was created by um, John Mackey, who is the co- co-founder of Whole Foods, and Raj Shisodhia, which who is a marketing professor. Um, and basically, it, it refers to a you know more of a socially responsible economic and political philosophy and so people that believe in this philosophy also believe that businesses should operate ethically while they pursue profit and so um, it is ensuring and making sure that all of your stakeholders whether it be your external customers the people that work for your company The people that provide manufacturing for your company um, or deliver for your company, everyone involved in your company's profits should be um, treated in um, an ethical, um, human way that really kind of looks out for the environment. And so it's not just about management teams and shareholders. It's about who are the stakeholders in your entire business. Um, And it builds on the foundation of capitalism. And so it it doesn't seek to minimize profit, but it emphasizes the fact that companies can actually do so in a manner that's more socially conscious. Um, The book, Conscious Capitalism, is actually required reading at Lovesack. We really want everyone in the company to understand that philosophy um, and how it dovetails with our design for life philosophy. And so we think that, you know, as a company and as people, we can work to make the world a better place, but still strive for profitability and sales.
1: No, I, I love that. And Sue, talk to us about the future. Are there areas of marketing or channels that you see LoveSack going in? What are some of your initiatives for 2021? If you could just mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've got our hands in a lot of marketing and digital pots. Um, and I think a lot of what we would be looking to do would be expanding on them. We've definitely seen success, um, as I was saying before, with TV media, but also just kind of OTT you know, um, Roku's and Netflix and Hulu Plus and, and all of that. And I think that there's probably a lot of runway for us there. Um, You know, we still have a low brand awareness, unaided brand awareness. And so there's a lot of work to do in, and a lot of really runway for us to go in terms of getting people brand aware of LoveSack and the amazing products that we sell and how it can change people's lives. And so I think we'll be leaning into that more heavily. I think that there's some really interesting things happening with um, internet of things um, with, you know, different types of search that we really also kind of need to delve into more, Um, you know, I think social media is obviously always changing, expanding. There's always, you know, kind of different platforms like TikTok is the newest, you know, hottest thing. And so it's really leaning into the areas that have worked well for us. And um, I think in terms of from from an e-commerce standpoint, it's really making sure that, you know, we are truly communicating with our customers and our, the people that want to become customers, our prospects, in a very omni-channel way. And so we know that a lot of the people that buy our products either in a mall and shopping and see our showroom, get a demo, don't complete their purchase until they get home and measure and complete their process online. Or on the flip side, we also know that a lot of people do their research online first and then go into a showroom. And so a lot of what I want to be able to do for next year is just ensuring that that showroom to digital, digital to showroom experience is completely omnichannel. And I know it's a buzzword, but we take it really seriously. Um, and, you know, making sure that people can come to the website and look for their showroom and make an appointment. Um, that's going to be really big, especially in this time when we can't really have a lot of people in a showroom. And so I think that um, from a digital e-commerce perspective, there's a lot of work to do in terms of the customer experience in that way. And then also ensuring that when you come to the site, you, know, you have an experience that feels like it's more personalized to what you need, um, which is no easy task.
0: So what does uh, retention look like for you guys? Do you see a lot of repeat customers or is it kind of once in a while type purchase and how do you kind of keep uh, customers engaged after their purchase?
2: Yeah, interestingly, you would think that um, there's not really very high rebuy rates, but in fact, we, we are um, we do experience high rebuy rates because if you think about the platform, you know, the covers are changeable, you can add pieces, Um, you can buy accessories, you know, we have pillows, and what we call foot sacks, which are blankets, and um, a lot of other things, we're, you know, we do expand the product lines, this year we um, expanded, we came out with a storage seat, which has been wildly popular, so basically adding more storage within your couch, and so we've seen a lot of repeat purchase in terms of know people wanting storage seats Um, and so we've done a really good job in you know having product lines that um and communicating with our customers in a way that um you know they want to come back and buy more pieces or covers or add a sack you know or they you're a sack buyer now you want to buy sectionals because you know you see the quality of the products and so um more more rebuy rate than you would think for uh people that sell couches and high price furniture mm-hmm.
0: that's cool and, and so one of our staple questions for the podcast is what's a message on linkedin that gets you to respond and what are some of the messages mm. that really annoy you
2: so in the same vein of thinking about data and personalization i um more email, I would say, but it drives me crazy when when people email me with the wrong first name. So they're trying to personalize the email, but they don't they don't refer to me as Sue or Susan or anything close to what my name is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so right there, like you're done, done. right? I, I, I'm never gonna even potentially consider you um just because why would i if you can't even get my first name right <laughs> right um especially since my email starts with my literally my first name not my first email. so it's There's pretty, three
1: pretty letters hard. three letters yeah
2: exactly yeah. um and i think you know you also get these messages where you know if someone's trying to sell you something whatever and i realize everybody's trying to do their job but um you know it's almost like the old direct mail days where like you'd have like your last chance catalog. you know, like this is your last chance. We're never gonna mail you again if you don't respond and And people send messages like that, and it's you know, I'm kind of like, well, well, yeah, I mean, okay, so now you're threatening me that you're never gonna contact me again. Meanwhile, obviously, your product doesn't work you know right for me. Um, and so it's, it's it's kind of interesting to have like those, you know, little kind of threats, you know, um, messages that I love are ones where people share experience with me, and a lot of people, um, more people than I would have imagined, know LoveSack, know someone that owns one of our products or owns it themselves, and so I love those messages where people start out by saying you know, my friend has your product, or I have your product, and I love it, um, or, you know, things like that, and just kind of making it more of a one-to-one conversation, um, and kind of leaning in with something that, you know, I can, I don't know, I can kind of get behind, you know, and so I, I love it when people kind of share personal stories with me when they're trying to get my attention.
1: Yeah. And that, that sort of resonates what with, you know, a lot of our guests say, it's a question that we, like AJ said, it's our, our signature question. We'd love to ask people that. And we too, like we get seven emails. Ah, oh, you must've, something must've happened. Something I said, it's like, mm-hmm. well, well actually everything you said is the reason why <laughs> I'm not getting back to you. It's literally everything you said is the reason I'm not. And it's funny when, when we onboard a new, salesperson here at starista now that we have all this great content in the marketing stir and we ask this question we say here's how you reach out to people just listen to these episodes and and that gives you an idea so thank you for sharing that now sue this is the point where all the marketing stuff that's done we, we, we talked about that let's get to know sue beckett a little bit you all said right. you said long island
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh you know new york i'm a new yorker as well i'm from westchester county Port Chester, there. Also a SUNY guy myself, although I didn't go to as good of a school as Binghamton. I just went to Oswego. Binghamton's excellent school. But tell us about yourself. Where you grew up? What do you you know? What do you enjoy doing? What uh, in your in your uh, spare time?
2: Absolutely. So yeah. So I'm a native New Yorker. Uh, grew up on Long Island. Um, I'm obviously here now. Still have a lot of family here. Love it here. Um, I'm a beach girl, so have to be near the ocean for sure. Could never live in a place where I'm landlocked for any mm. long period of time. Um, took a walk on the beach this morning. So nice. um, I, my passion in life is traveling the world. And this will be the first year in over 20 years that I will not have traveled internationally.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. I have been to some amazing places a lot of amazing places. I just love to see other places to experience different cultures to meet different people um, and it's been kind of my life's passion to do that um, been to Africa multiple times South America, Europe Southeast Asia um, and I, I always have amazing experiences. Um, so I'd love to do that. Um, and unfortunately, it's a little depressing that it can't happen this year. But that just means hopefully at some point next year, I get to be going on some really amazing vacation <laughs> um, because I didn't travel this year. So,
1: no, ex- Exactly right. We, we hear people talk about that. And to put you on the spot, if you had to recommend one place for, it's like, Hey, I'm just going on one trip. Where do people go and why? I know it's, that's a hard one.
2: It's a hard one, but I would say, um, an African safari Yep. because you can't really find anything like that here in the States. Um, it gives you such an appreciation for nature at its core. Um, obviously animals and the way they live and interact with one another, how they rely on the land. And I definitely feel like, uh, especially my, I've been fortunate enough to be on on two safaris, but I would say that my first safari definitely changed me in a lot of ways. Um, And if you have to ever go to one one place or do one thing, um, I would choose an African safari.
1: That's good advice. That is, uh, you know, I'm fortunate as well to travel a variety of different places, you know, in in the world. My honeymoon was in South America, Europe, many times, but the African Safari is on the bucket list and definitely something that myself and my family, uh, even, you know, maybe as my kids get older, we will do. But uh, this has been awesome, Sue. This has flown by. I felt like, uh, you know, just talking to a friend. This has been awesome. We really appreciate you sharing your story. Ladies and gentlemen, check out Lovesac, uh, L-O-V-E-S-A-C.com. That has been Sue Beckett. She's the Vice President of Digital Marketing and E-Commerce at Lovesac. Thank you so much for joining us, Sue. We appreciate your time that you've taken with us today.
2: Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and
0: subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at
2: themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.